It's always a good thing. Always a good thing. Good illustration. Hey, I hope uh, you're enjoying your fall. We're a couple days into it now, officially, by the calendar. Uh, it hasn't been fall weather yet, but uh, the days are short. Things are changing. So we're beginning a new, uh, a new series here as far as the, the remainder of the fall and the first part of the winter. We're going to run up through about Christmas time uh, with a continuation of the series we just got done with. And that series, for those of you who weren't here, for those of you who didn't know what we were talking about, uh, we talked about the authentic church. What does the church, not the building, not the, we, we talked about what does the, the body of Christ, the, the collection of the saints, the, the children of God, what does the authentic church look like? What does it move like? What does it act like? Well, we're going to pick up from that and say, okay, well, since the church is made up of uh, individual members of the body of Christ, then what's the authentic Christian look like? What does it take to be an authentic Christian? How, does, how do we become authentic as far as uh, what we're designed to do uh, in, in being an ambassador of Christ, a member of the body of Christ? So that's what we're going to head into over the course of uh, the next few uh, weeks and months here. Uh, there was something Steve asked us to, to preach on. He was uh, originally going to be uh, taking a sabbatical uh, during this time. Uh, then he got the news of his, uh, of his cancer, and so it'll be Bill and I for a different reason than the one we had hoped. But uh, we're basically going to walk through a, a series of how do we get equipped? How do we get free? How do we, how do we really enjoy the abundance of this life that God says he's promised? So... Stick with us. That's where we're going. I got up this morning, and uh, I'm getting old. Uh, I've been denying it forever, but it's just the fact. Um, I I referee high school football on Fridays, and every Saturday morning, I can't walk. Uh, It's either my hamstring, my groin, my ankle. It was all of it this Saturday, but but you know, uh, parts of my body just aren't functioning the way they they used to. Uh, but inside, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm when I'm when I'm walking with God, I'm doing great. Uh, it's just it's just exciting. No matter what my physical body is doing. Uh, inside is where I really am and and nothing can change that for any of us Uh, and and you know uh, I'm not sure how God would answer this question but if we were asked him how is how is he well I I should say I'm pretty sure I know how he would answer it Ian Thomas who uh, who Tom mentioned before he's he's one of my favorite uh, teachers uh, to whom I, I feel I owe a lot to. 
But uh, he used an illustration. He used this way. I think it was actually here that he, uh, that he preached this sermon uh, from Rimrock Church here. He did a sermon on, how, are you well? The question was, are you well? And so in that sermon, he, he mentioned, he said, you know, if we were to ask Jesus that question, if we were to ask God, are you well? He would say, I'm, I am well. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and yea, forever. He's God. He's good. He's omnipotent. He's, he's well. He's pure. He's holy. He's righteous. But he'd probably answer kind of the same way, only more so. He'd say, but you know, physically, in our body, we're not doing so good. We're, at this time, on this earth, the body of Christ. And to say that we would accurately reflect him on a consistent basis, would, would, we would know what that would say. <laughs> we do well at times, and then other times we don't. Consistently as a whole, we're probably never in step. But you know what? God, that's what God's grace is all about. And what we want to do today is we want to take a look at, well, how do we get well? How do we get to where our actions line up with the truth of the inside of us? But you know what? We really won't know how to do that if we don't know what the inside of us is supposed to look like. It's our belief here that if we are healthy, if we know who we are, if we're operating by the design, what will happen is people who are struggling out here will get hope. They'll see answers. They'll, if, if, if we're walking in the, the truth of what a, a believer can walk in as far as their wellness, regardless of how their physical body is doing, People can see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And they'll want it. They'll want to know where you got it. They will be drawn to you like Nicodemus was to Jesus when he came to him and he said, no one can do the things that you do unless God is with them. And you know, that's what God sent us to do as well, is to be an accurate reflection of him, because that's exactly what Jesus did. He was the exact representation of God. And he says, as my Father sent me, so I send you. So how do we do that? If you had a pottery, if you had a piece of pottery, it was a beautiful big piece of pottery, and, and somebody dropped it on the floor, and and you want to, you know, and, and, you know, they say, oh, it's, it's destroyed. And they sweep it up and they, ha they have all these pieces in a bag. And you think, I wonder if I can put that back together. But you didn't know what it was to begin with. You, didn't, you just have the pieces. And you put, get these and you spread them out. And you think, wouldn't it be nice to have some idea what the pattern was, what the, what the shape was to begin with? Wouldn't that make it a little bit easier to begin to put the pieces together and to line them up and match them up? Because you know what the end product looks like, what the beginning product was, and now you can start to put it back together to restore it. Well, 
That's what we want to look at this morning. If, if the body of Christ isn't functioning very well, even though we have the ability and capability to do so, if we're not, where are we broken? If our life is not an exact representation of God on a consistent basis, then why? Bill spoke about authority last week. He talked about how we, we can come up with all kinds of authorities, whether it's our emotions, whether it's teaching, whether it's whatever. We can come up with all kinds of authority, but ultimately the, the authority of our life has been since we were little until we, began, until we became a believer and began to find out that we weren't right. The authority is our own reasoning. It's our own mind. We were trained up to believe lies. And you know who trained us up? The devil. You know, he didn't sit down on our bedside and, and tell us stories about how to live life according to a lie. He used the world to conform us. And it says that, that we are, when Jesus was uh, speaking to lost people, of whom everybody was at the time he was on the planet, he said, you're of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. We were trained up to believe we were our own God, that our reasoning, our opinions, our perspectives were all accurate according to what makes me okay, what makes me safe. And they were all lies. And you know what people do if they believe they're acting on truth? They live it out. As a man reasons within himself, so he is. As in water, face reflects face, so the beliefs of a man reveal the man. We act out what we believe, but if what we're believing is a lie, then we're giving a distorted picture, an inaccurate picture of the very design of man, the purpose of our lives, and that is to bear the image of God. So somewhere we've got to change authorities. Bill talked about how the true, the one and only authority is God. He's given us his word. But you know what else he did? He gave us an accurate picture. He showed us in person what the piece of pottery looked like. He showed us what he de designed as mankind in the first place when he himself stepped out of eternity into time and lived life as a man. If you go through the scriptures, you're going to find that he refers to himself as a lot of different things, but there's one that seems to be above all else. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. He also refers to himself as the Son of God. So which one was he? Well, he's both. That's what we're going to celebrate at Christmas time is the advent of, uh, of, of Jesus Christ, uh, God himself becoming a man, the whole virgin birth where the Spirit of God came upon Mary and she conceived and bore a son alive as a man with the life of God. 
He was the second Adam. He was the exact representation of God. He was the one who, in walking on the earth uh, with his disciples, Philip came to him and said, Teacher, it'd be enough if you would show us the Father. And he said, Philip, Philip, how long have I been with you? And yet you still say, show us the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen him. I and my Father are one. He was a real man. And he was fully God. And he was doing exactly what he designed man to do in the beginning. Now, as a biblical counselor, I trust that God's word is true. And when I talk to people about issues, I want to stay centered on the word of God. You know, it's pointless for me to tell people they're wrong about certain things because you know what? They already know. You know whose job it is to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. I don't need to tell people they're wrong. You know what? They're going to find out they're wrong. And if I can tell them they're wrong, but if they're, if, if they're their own authority, they're not going to agree with me anyway. Uh, and you know, what, you know what they're going to do if they believe a lie? They're going to live out the lie. And so it's foolish for me to argue with them. But when people come and look for help because their way isn't working, guess what I do? I tell them, well, this is what it looked like in the beginning. This is how it's supposed to work. And you know who I got that from? I got it from a pretty good authority. If you turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, I'm going to show you what Jesus did. Starting in verse 3, some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. You see what he did? They came and they asked him, Okay, what do you say about this situation? What do you say about that situation? Whatever. And he said, You know what? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the design. Let's not talk about what's, what's going on out here. Let me take you back. He says, you know what? In the beginning, here's how it was. There was a man and there was a woman, and, the, and the, God joined the two together because together, male and female, he created them, and together they give an accurate picture of God. So what, two, what God has joined together, the design of marriage is that the two would become one. So here's, here's my answer. Look at how it was designed. And if you know how it's designed, you'll know where you're off. You'll know what the answer is. So as a, a counselor, I go back a lot to the beginning. The first service, I wanted to demonstrate that by showing people my, my Bible. Pretty, pretty good. But, 
and this had never happened before, but I finally did it this morning when I lifted it up. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. <laughs> it fell out. It's all tattered. It's all worn. I have to unfold it to read it because this is where I go back to because this is the design. This is where God speaks of his purpose for the creation of man. And if we don't understand his purpose, if we don't understand his creation, we won't know what the finished product looks like that we're shooting for, that God is helping us become. So we'll go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This was after, on day six after he had created uh, the heavens and the earth, the light, the dark, the, the sea, and all the creatures in it. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, verse 26, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you flip over to Genesis chapter 2, there's a little more detailed account of the creation story. In verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, this is verse 7, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then it, in verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Verse 20, uh, verse 21, So the Lord God caused it. He was looking for a helpmate. There was not uh, found a helper suitable for him in verse 20. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's that verse Jesus quoted. When he was asked about divorce, he says, here's what I designed. Divorce wasn't a part of the picture. Here's how it was intended to be. That's what we have to look at. How was it intended to be? We're not talking about marriage this morning. We're talking about mankind. Male and female, he created them. Remember, everything got a good after creation, after it was created. At the every day, God said it is good. And then, uh, then he created man. And, you know, sorry, guys, but we got the first. It's not good. It's not that there was something wrong with man. It's just he wasn't done. He says it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll create, I'll, I'll create a helpmate, suitable, comparable, completing him. And he 
created the woman and gave her to the man and then he said it's very good because his complete his creation was complete his image now could be in the union of a husband and a wife in a oneness relationship that Jesus talked about that he wrote about at the beginning in that oneness relationship God himself could now be accurately revealed his image truly born by human beings. Amazing that the Creator God could be known by His creation. That was His intention. That was His plan. That's the design. And to accomplish it, we we need to see, well, how does that happen? Does that mean God has... Has a, has a body like ours? Well, you know what? As Jesus Christ, yes, he did. But remember, it says that God is spirit. Those who worship him, those who have a relationship with him, must do so in spirit and in truth. So we know that God is spirit. So if man is created in his image, he must also be spiritual. We also know God has a personality. We also know that God makes choices. We also know that God has emotion. God has a soul. So he gave man a soul. And he gave us a body to house that soul and that spirit. We're not a body with a spirit. We're a spirit living in this body. And what makes us each uniquely different is our soul our individuality, our personality, the way that God designed us to be, be unique from each and every other person on this planet because through that uniqueness, God will reveal a part of his character that no one else uh, can, but together, collectively, we're the body of Christ. We're an accurate representation of, of the whole truth of God, but each one of us is unique. Each one of us is perfectly designed for God to declare himself uniquely through. And that's how these two were. But together, they were going to do the job. But look at verse 7 of chapter 2. It says, Then God, the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, literally that formed was that he, it, it's, it's the word used like a potter. Uh, it, it's, a, it's an external force that fashions, molds, forms. That's what he did. He literally took the dust of the ground or dirt, is where it's translated elsewhere, earth. He took ground and he fashioned out of that ground a body. Then it says, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And that's really an interesting passage and a very, very, very important truth. When it says he breathed, literally it, it means to blow or to give up. 
In other words, it's something that came from someone by their intention. It's a part of them now given to give up. In other words, it came from God to the man. And it says he breathed into the man the breath of life. That word breath is also interesting. It means spirit. It means divine inspiration coming from God. It now was given to the man which gave him divine inspiration so that he could do the job of declaring God's image. How could man declare God if he didn't know who God was? How, could, how can a man declare God in and of his own resources and his own strength? He can't. That was never part of the design. The design was that the Spirit of God, giving life now to the spirit of man, and when it says that he breathed into him the breath of life, that life is the very life that brings, brings the, the soul to life. It's the very life that Jesus Christ himself said he was when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. And him was the life, and the life was the light of men. He said that... that that in him was the life. Or he says, I, I have come that they might have life and life abundantly. That's the life we're talking about. He breathed into the man. He spiritually imparted to the man God's very life to give inspiration to his soul as to how to live. And a part of the function of the soul is to choose. And by man choosing to by faith to believe God, making himself available to God, the man's earth suit or the vehicle would then respond to the inspiration of God. And in everything that he says and he does and he is, all his actions would declare accurately the truth of God. Amazing. In modern terminology, you could say that the Holy Spirit of God was given to the man as a GPS system. The one to give guidance, the one to give direction, the one to show where. Now, poor illustration because I've had a GPS system tell me the wrong way to go. But the Holy Spirit of God is always going to tell truth. Remember Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he says, I will send to you his disciples, he said, I will send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. He will lead you into all truth. He will bring to remembrance all that I have taught you. The Spirit of God was given to the man so that the man would know how to live and know what, what to do because he would know God. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of man united in a oneness relationship living in the same tent the same house, the same earth suit, the same body. But remember, God gave him a choice, which is imperative if you're going to love. You can't compel somebody to love, love you. Love is not an automatic response. Love is a choice. And to, and to declare love, you have to exercise your will to demonstrate that love, to activate that love. And that's what God gave them in the garden with the choice of eating from the tree of the knowledge good and evil when they could have eaten from any other tree in the place. 
God says, of all the trees of the garden, you can freely eat. Bill's going to talk about that next week. He's going to talk about what happened to the design when it got dropped and it got shattered. What, the, what were the effects? But what happened was they did make that choice. They declared for themselves that they wanted to be the authority. I want to decide what's good and evil, and I'm not going to trust God for it. And when that happened, the very thing God warned them about, the very thing God told them is that in the day that you eat of it, I'm going to have to depart. In the day that you decide you want to be the authority, I've got to honor your choice. I can't compel you to do the right thing. That, would, that is not love on my part. And they made that choice. God honored that choice. And the consequence the divine inspiration of God, the very Spirit of God himself, departed from the man. Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? They could not coexist. Man had become sin, and God could not inhabit sin. So man became a fool. Man lost total knowledge of God. Remember, one of the first things... Adam did in response to his awareness of God as he tried to hide from him behind a tree. Good plan. Shows you he lost all knowledge of God, which meant he didn't know how to be a man. Not a real man. Because a real man is one who has the Holy Spirit of God guiding him, and a real man chooses to believe God. And in that choice declares the truth about God because it's God actually working through him, just as Jesus said of himself. He said, I don't do anything on my own initiative. Everything I do, I do by direction of my Father. The works that I do, they're not mine, they're his. My Father, he's at work. That's how we're designed to be. But what God himself did was remedy the problem. That's going to be part of what we're going to be looking at here in the next couple weeks. We're going to look at what man did and the resulting complications of that, the results of that. And then we're going to look at what God did to remedy the situation. Because as sinful people, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we would permanently be separated from the Spirit of God, which is death, because life was given by virtue of his spirit. We would be physically alive, soulishly active, but spiritually deader than a hammer unless God did something to get his life back into our life, his spirit back into our spirit. And the only way he could do that is to remove the barrier of sin which caused him to leave in the first place. And that's what he did on the cross. When he who knew no sin became our sin for us. And said it is finished forgiven so we're gonna look at what God did and then we're gonna look at what it means to be a Christian and a Christian is one who has said yes to God in response to the declared need of ours the declared need of ours is that we're dead and in need of life and 
the only way we can receive life is if we believe God and we trust him to save us. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then what happens to us? Well, it says we become a new creation. So we're going to take a look at, well, who is that? What was that? What does it mean to be born again? So we're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at, look at our number one problem for those of us who have believed for those of us who have put our faith in this loving, holy, righteous God, why do we still have problems? If the GPS system was reinstalled, why do I still make decisions that don't look like God? And I make a lot of them. I still trust the wrong authority. Why? Well, we're going to take a look at that, too. How do I fix it? How do I get, on, get with God's program? How, it's not religion. It's not me now learning, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do, A and B and C and D and E. I'll start working on at least that part of it. No. God says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We're back in a relationship. Let's do it together. That's how we'll look at it. So we're going to be spending time looking at the authentic Christian, but you know what? It does no good to go that direction if we don't know what it looked like, if we don't know what the design is. And the design is God. And the design is that a man has to be housed by the Spirit of God in order to ever declare the truth about God because apart from him we can do nothing. It's got to be God in the man working through the man and us yielding ourselves. Remember, it says that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service of worship. It's what's normal. It's what's truthful. And because of that, people who are searching will have hope. God's chosen to work through his children. Unfortunately, a lot of times we want to tell people, you know, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You know what? What we need to do is live what's right. That's what we're focused on. Living what's truth. Out of us should be flowing fountains of living water. And people should be drawn. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, if I be elevated, if I be put first... I will draw all men to myself. He was speaking of his crucifixion on one hand, and he was speaking about, about our response on the other hand of making him first by believing him, by elevating his word through our faith and declared in our actions. He loves his creation. And a lot of his creation are really messed up because a lot of his creation is really dead really dead. And if they perish in that condition, they will be eternally separated from God. It's not our responsibility to save people. It's not our responsibility to condemn people. It's our responsibility to be us and to allow Christ in that to be himself through us. And the rest is up to him. And together, corporately, we give a more accurate picture. 
People need to see Christianity working for someone. Let it be us. Let it be you. That's what we're going to be looking at the course of the next three months. I hope you stick with us. We're going to talk about renewing our mind. We're going to talk about, about, oh man, all kinds of stuff. And if you want a bigger, uh, longer dose, Mark's doing a class downstairs at 9.30 uh, that's basically elaborating on the same thing. Essentials to living the Christian life. So, my challenge for us is, are you well? How are you doing? Better yet, how is Christ doing in and through you as you present your body to him as his ambassador for him to do his work? Other people will notice. That's not why you do it. But other people need to see Christianity working in the lives of those who claim Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's what it takes to become a Christian, to be divinely inspired. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for loving us. We love because you first loved us. Teach us how to love, Father. We want to be better lovers. We want to be people that uh, in our jobs, in our homes, in, our, in everything that we do, even driving our vehicles and shopping and, and you know, whatever we do, Father, we want to be a beacon of your light. You refer to us as children of light. And you know, you declared it accurately. You gave us physical pictures of what light does to darkness. It dispels it. And so, Father, I pray that your light would shine through us in such a way that people would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, thank you. Amen. Have a great weekend. Enjoy this beautiful fall. I heard the colors are pretty good up in Spearfish Canyon, so... Drive back to Rapid City via Spearfish Canyon. See ya.